Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for A Place at the Table. It's a problem that people are ashamed of acknowledging. It's very humiliating. It's tiring. What are we going to do? This generation will live sicker and die younger than the parents' generation. Hunger is right here in the United States. And the problem is getting worse. The reason people are going hungry is not because of a shortage of food, it's because of poverty. One out of every two kids in the United States at some point will be on food assistance. I was one of those kids that was hungry. It messes with you. The average food stamp benefits $3 a day. There are people who are living on that, and you really can't. If you have a limited amount of money, you're going to spend it on the cheapest calories you can get, and that's processed foods. My dream is to go to college, but I can't tell my kids, I'll make sure you guys eat in two years. I'm struggling to even feed my kids every day. Put that in there. OK, that was a bad idea. As many as 50 million Americans rely on charitable food programs. I haven't received a pay raise in four years. And what I used to spend on a month in groceries now gets me about two weeks. It's amazing how the need has increased. Charity is a great thing, but it's not the way to end hunger. We're weakening our nation. But I don't really know what to do. was a documentary in 1968 that put hunger on the national agenda. Regular Americans rose up and demanded a modern nutrition assistance safety net, which helped us almost end hunger entirely by the late 1970s. It showed that public policy could work, political will could work to make a difference in our country. There's probably 600, 700 chefs here, all really committed to helping this problem that we have with childhood obesity and hunger. Working to make sure that families have access to quality, affordable food. It's so good. There's a lot of education that needs to happen around what is healthy food. Give your ideas for change, for the healthy life of your kids. We all have a stake in this. It's about patriotism, really. If another country was doing this to our kids, we would be at war. And it doesn't have to be that way. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from the Film Society of Lincoln Center, Eugene Hernandez, and tonight's guest, Lori Silverbush and Tom Colicchio. Welcome, Lori and Tom. Thank you. Thanks for uh, Welcome us. to the audience that are here and those who are listening in. This uh, event, as always, podcast on iTunes, so welcome to the folks who are listening in to this conversation here from the Apple Store Soho in beautiful downtown New York City. Um, now, this couple here, they're, uh, Tom and Lori, uh, are married, and they've also worked together on this film that we're going to talk about. We're going to see some clips. Uh, Tom, you know, is a restaurant man. Laura, you know, is a documentary filmmaker, a filmmaker. Um, this movie gives, you th gives the two of you a chance to uh, work together, uh, obviously very closely. Um, Laura, you co-directed the movie with uh, Christy Jacobson. Tom, you're involved with the film as well. Um, tell me, just to sort of set up uh, the the film a little bit, how the two of you decided to end, you know, decided to work together on the project specifically. Um, for about the last 25 years, um, w uh, the restaurant industry, um, as long as I've been, I've been working in the industry, we've been very active raising money for hunger issues, um, whether it's with Share Our Strength or with Feeding America or the local food banks. Um, 
here in New York, New York City Food Bank, our uh, City Harvest. And, um, you know, I think we were very happy to do that. And, and, and um, at some point, um, we realized, actually, as we were doing the work, and, and there was another reason, Laura will explain why we started, why we did the film as well, that uh, at some point you have to ask yourself, if we're doing all this work with these great organizations, raising a lot of money, why do we still have this issue of hunger? And why is, not only do we have the issue, why is it still growing? And so uh, those questions led us to the film. Also along, uh, along those lines, Lori um, was mentoring a young girl. Well, actually, I think it goes a little bit before that. Um, I had uh, directed a film called On the Outs that you know, which was a fiction film. And uh, it was about kids who were in juvenile jail and uh, as part of my research, I spent time in a juvenile facility with a lot of kids who were on lockdown. And I remember asking one of them, God, it must be real tough for you to be in here. You could be out in the world doing your thing, and instead you're, you're locked up. And she said, you know what? I get three meals a day here. And I was stunned by that, because it really, suddenly there was a strong connection for me. Um, and I remember wondering about that. And then I... I kind of filed that away, and I was mentoring a, a young girl um, who I met through similar work I was doing, and she was having problems in school, so we helped to get her into a special private school for kids who have learning issues, and we were really proud of ourselves, and I got a phone call one day from the principal that she was foraging in the trash for food. And uh, because it was a private school, they didn't provide free breakfast, free lunch. And she had, I had unknowingly deprived her of her one meal of the day that she had been getting at her previous school. So, you know, of course, we were stunned and, and upset. We fed her. We fed her family. But then the next day, same issue. We could bring a week's worth of groceries. The next day, same issue. And it started to get really frustrating because no matter how much we're feeding people, and we can be so proud of ourselves as people who are philanthropists or doing charity, we're not fixing it. We're not fixing it. We're just sort of making ourselves feel good, but we're not fixing it. And it was starting to really frustrate me. I saw chefs and, and good people were raising more money than it ever before, and the problem was worse than it had ever been before. And I just thought, you know, I have a, I have a skill. Uh, let me investigate this and see if I can I can bring that to to this and and see what comes of it. One of the things that uh, the movie is called A Place at the Table. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival a year ago now, and um, I watched it at the first screening at Sundance a year ago, and I just watched it again this weekend. And one of the things that's so um, frustrating about the issue that you're exploring is that in today's culture, it often takes a documentary of all things to to wake people up to the issues and the ideas and and the frustrations that that are at the core of this particular topic. Um, so, uh, like, uh, who's seen an inconvenient truth? The documentary about uh, climate change. Um, this movie does for um, this issue what uh, inconvenient truth sought to do for that particular issue. And it's something that it, it is interesting that it requires, you know. As much as as much conversation as there is about these topics, it's never quite enough. Um, it sometimes takes trying to rally people through a film of all things. I mean, can you talk about sort of how and why film can have that impact, and how and, and specifically the impact that you hope this film will have? Because it's certainly speaking to an administration 
at the very top that agrees with you and has tried. You talk in the movie about how the Obama administration tried to affect change in this issue and has been met with um, tremendous frustration in trying to achieve uh, you know, greater funding. Okay. Well, I think um, in, from doing research, Lori uh, realized right away that a film that was made back in 1968 um, called Hunger in America, it was a CBS uh, news piece. Um, after that film, the film kind of showed hunger in this country. It was the first time that it was exposed to the extent that it was. And very quickly, um, the, you know, people just demanded from their government that things change. And Nixon was in the White House, and Dole and McGovern got together and created the Modern Food Safety Net. And so the idea that a film, um, and, and, and pretty much got rid of hunger until the 80s. And so the idea that a film um, already um, affected this issue, and I think Lori came, I remember when she came home at night and said, you know what, there was this film and it happened once, and I think we can do it again. But I think the important thing to note about that, Tom's right, I mean, we had this incredibly inspiring example because the original documentary that CBS had made, it was called Hunger in America, and it was a very shocking piece of, of, of journalism. In the first 60 seconds of that film, a newborn dies on the table after being born to a malnourished mother. I mean, you can imagine the shock of Americans watching this. And they called their representatives at such high numbers that there was, there was a hue and cry. And within two weeks, uh, as Tom mentioned, Senators Mc, uh, Dole and McGovern reached across the aisle in a very fracturous uh, Congress and managed to craft bipartisan legislation that created today's modern food safety net. It worked. But it didn't work without citizen engagement. People said, wow. So you call it frustrating that it takes a documentary. I call it exciting. I think the reason like, people like me <laughs> go into this field, um, it's not for the glory or the big bucks, I can promise you. It's for the fact that we might be able to impact meaningful dialogue and make change. And the idea that a film did that then so powerfully was really inspirational. In fact, we did, as Tom said, those programs worked so well that by the end of the 70s, we had uh, historic low numbers of hunger in this country, the lowest they've ever been. And then, of course, come Reagan in the 80s, and the dialogue started to shift to this mythology about welfare queens and who are these people who want a free ride. And it's sort of we got away from the understanding that it is in our collective best interest to make sure healthy food's available to everyone. So it brought us back to where we are today, which is even worse than we were before. But a piece of media was very effective, and I think it can be again. One of the things we learn, and the way the film is structured, for those who haven't seen it yet, and the film opens uh, here in New York City on March 1st, downtown at the Sunshine and uptown at Lincoln Center, um, the film includes not only um, experts uh, talking about the issue, but it also includes uh, some really powerful uh, portraits of individual families and individual kids and parents who are facing this particular issue on a day-to-day -day basis, and, and their stories change dramatically over the course of the film. Um, one of the things that um, we learn in the film is actually how hard it is for an individual family, family to qualify for support, for food stamps, basically. Um, it's, it's really hard to even, uh, and I think there's one situation where someone is, is making like $3 too much to qualify for food stamps or something, and therefore she can't even get like $1 of, of support to, 
Yeah, one of our characters is a wonderful young woman named Barbara Izquierdo, and she is somebody who um, is struggling very hard to feed her kids and go to school and hold down a job. Uh, and um, at various times when she would get her job, she would immediately be cut off from food stamps, which a lot of people think is you know just and fair, but you see that her doing, with when Barbie was striving to do the things and fulfill sort of her end of the social contract, her kids ended up hungrier than before. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but we do have a clip about food stamps. Maybe we should show that because I think it's very um, illustrative of what we're talking about. Let's take a look at a clip from Place at the Table. The assistance programs in the United States are very hard to qualify for. It's like either you're starving or you don't get any help. But what defines starving? Like if you don't eat for a day, are you starving? In their eyes, no, but in your eyes and the way you feel, of course. Okay. Good job. Mom, can I do the white one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Put that in the water. Wait, do we gotta break it? No, you don't gotta break it. It's Aiden's turn to help, too. Put that in there. Okay, that was a bad idea. I do get food stamps now, but they last about three weeks out of the month. And for that last week, I'm just going crazy. Put them in there, the ones that I cut. Uh, I lived on a food stamp diet for a week, along with Joanne Emerson from Missouri. We did so because we thought that the food stamp benefit was inadequate. Most of my colleagues had no idea that the average food stamp benefit was $3 a day. I had my budget, and I went to a supermarket, and it took me an awful long time because you have to add up every penny, and it has to last you for a week. And so I did it, and I will tell you, I, I was tired, I was cranky, I couldn't drink coffee because coffee was too expensive. I mean, there were people who were living on that food stamp allocation. And you really can't. For us, it was an exercise that ended in a week. For millions of other people in this country, that's their way of life. Every day is a struggle just to eat. And I, and I told um, one of your colleagues from Take Part, uh, from Participant. Participant's one of the companies involved with taking the film out, and they were involved with Inconvenient Truth. Um, and Wendy, who's here, uh, asked me to encourage folks who want more information about this issue. Just to get in more information, you can text FOOD to 77177, and you'll get a text back with more information. Uh, and there's also more information on the film's website. Um, one of the things that comes up, if we go a little bit deeper uh, into this issue, because there's, there's a lot of strands to this, um, uh, one of the issues that, that you explore um, in an eye-opening way are the kinds of food choices that people are making, and you see a little bit of that in this, in this scene in the grocery store, um, but you actually visit places where a grocery store like that, with that many options, would actually be a luxury. You explore this, I think, was it the term food drought or gross? Food desert, uh, the places in rural, more rural um, locations where um, families have to travel, you know, an hour as, as much as 45 minutes to an hour just to get to a place that has, you know, 
food options with vegetables and fruit. I mean, there's a woman you, who goes to a small store and they don't even carry, they have like three bananas on the table. Right, but right. Nothing Th- else. This, this is, uh, it's an issue both urban and, and rural areas. Um, in urban areas, a lot of people rely on the corner bodega. They don't have in parts of our city. There are places where you cannot shop in a supermarket. If you, if you can, you've got to take trains or buses to, 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 to get there. And a lot of the bodegas, they don't have refrigeration. So there aren't fruits and vegetables. So there are plenty of areas where you don't have access to healthy food. And then if you had access to healthy food, healthy food is more expensive. So if you go and shop for fruits and vegetables, it's a lot more expensive than going to shop for highly processed foods, um, even in a fast food restaurant where you can get a hamburger for a dollar. And because of that, because of the idea of of not having access to healthy food, and also because healthy food is expensive, people uh, that are are, um, of low income um, are making a, a choice to feed their family something. And so they're feeding them a lot of empty calories, a lot of fats and sugars and highly processed food. Um, for instance, $3 buys 3,000 calories of junk or 300 calories of, of healthy food. And so if you have a couple of kids at home and you're struggling, um, you will make the choice to give, give them something. Um, in this, this particular scene, not this one, but um, a, long, a little later on in the film, uh, Barbie talks about having to put her kids to bed hungry and, and act as if they did something wrong. And so the, it's not a choice that they have. It's, 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 a, it's a false choice. And so there are ways that, are, that we can make fruits and vegetables more affordable. Um, $20 billion a year go into um, sort of subsidizing corn, wheat, soy, rice, cotton, all of those things that go into highly processed foods. If some of that subsidy went to fruits and vegetables, we can make fruits and vegetables, healthy foods, more affordable. So it's just one idea of how government can actually help. Switching gears slightly, I think one of the things that is worth exploring, and I think maybe there's a glimmer of hope in this to a certain extent. Tom, you've obviously um, achieved broader awareness uh, through um, television shows that are, that are exploring nightly um, chefs, top chef, you know, there's always there's plenty of competitions around um, the preparation of food, but I think at the core of those shows, other than the the inherent drama of you know chef versus chef, is the idea that um, that there's also uh, something something uh, unique and special about the preparation of food, um, and and we, so we see we see that issue maybe um, more broadly on television and mainstream media than we probably ever have. People are talking about. And, and engaged in the sort of preparation of, the selection of, uh, discussion about food more than probably at any other point. Yeah, yeah probably. Um, but that kind of leads to this, this idea of, of preparing food. So yes, if you were able to cook, if you knew how, number one, you can probably stretch a dollar. Okay, for, so if we're talking about, you know, about uh, people that are, are struggling. But you know, the majority of, of, of food stamps, or, or SNAP, actually goes to working families, or at least one member of the family is working. So there's a question of time. So by the time you go to work, by the time you get home, you're shopping. Uh, if you're a single parent, you're, you're on your own, picking the kids up, you don't have time. And, and so there's a lot of issues, again, around the, the area of, of healthy foods and about providing for the family. It's not, it's not a simple answer. Um, you know, the, the, I'll plug, I'll plug Lori for a second and Christy because she, she won't do it, but I think really why the film was successful is because of the stories, 
because there's behind the facts and behind the uh, the idea of what hunger is. There's some some really great filmmaking here and stories behind it, and I think that's what endears the viewer to to the subject. Um, but uh, what I do, it, it always comes up. What are you doing in the restaurants? What I do in the restaurants have absolutely nothing to do with this issue at all. It just happens that because the restaurant industry is an industry that's close to hunger issues, that I have been exposed to it. Let's talk about the filmmaking itself, and let's uh, to pick up on what Tom was just talking about. So, Laurie, let's talk about um, how you and Christy set out to tell these specific stories and how you found some of the different, we see one of the families here, and how you found some of the different families. You literally traveled to various parts of the country to explore um, what's going on in, in not only specific regions, but within um, typical families. Some are, some are rural, some are urban. How did you find yeah, the families? Yeah, well, when we started doing our research, one of our biggest surprises was to discover that there is hunger in every single county in the United States. So I'm going to say that again because it's so shocking. Every single county in the United States has hunger, which meant that we wanted to show a representative sample of who's going hungry. And I think a lot of people have a stereotype of who goes hungry. Um, but what we discovered was that, as Tom said, the bulk of people who are on food assistance have at least one working adult in the house. Uh, we discovered that it was a rural problem, a suburban problem, and an urban problem. So actually the film opens, uh, and we're in western Colorado, in the far frontier edges of Colorado in a ranching community. And uh, when we're there, we meet the, um, it's a, we, we went to a place called Colburn, Colorado. It's a very small little town. Uh, jobs have dried up. There's very little in the way of um, employment opportunities and uh, tax rolls have shrunk and as a consequence of that the town's sole police marshal has to go to a food bank to get enough food to feed his family and uh, it's really kind of shocking we see a rancher who's in a similar position his kids have to go to an after-school feeding program to make sure they get some healthy food in a given day and you've never met harder working people in your life he even moonlights as a janitor in the schools um, these are not the image that I have found people, it's not the image I walked around with until I started to learn. Um, so we, we cast a pretty wide net. We reached out to hunger organizations around the country. There's major national organizations and they all have regional offices and people who are really fighting on the front lines. And we said to them, could you please introduce us around? And as you can imagine, uh, not everybody was so keen to talk to us because the irony of this problem, even though over 50 million people suffer from um, food insecurity, meaning they don't necessarily know where their next meal is coming from, there is a tremendous sense of shame and personal failure around it. And we've managed to, in this country, somehow we blame people for their own misfortune. Because one of our favor, you know, favorite ideas as Americans is that if we succeed, we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. So the flip of that is if we fail, we must have done something wrong. And people have very much internalized when they can't feed their family, like, oh, it's my shame, it's something I'm doing. One of the things we really set out to expose with this film is that there is a system at work that they, the system is being gamed a little bit here and there, and often people are going hungry through no fault of their own, through invisible factors that are systemic. And we were hoping to expose those factors and shine a light on it so that as a nation we can say, oh, broken, let's fix it. That, that number is really shocking as well, and I think um, it's worth repeating. 50 million people suffering from food insecurity. That's, a, that's such a dramatic number, it's even hard to fathom. Yeah, one in two children at some point or another in this country will be on some form of food assistance. 
And I, that, that's the USDA's numbers. That's government statisticians. That is not a bunch of lefty liberal people cobbling together some research to support their, their own uh, vision of things. One thing that is frustrating for maybe for lefty liberals, but um, one thing that was really frustrating to me as I was watching the movie um, is, and you make it very clear as well, is that there's certainly n n no shortage of subsidies and support for, um, for big business, uh, agribusiness. Um, it's okay to support big business, but it's not okay to support individuals and individual families, and that's something that you, that you explore a little bit as well. Well, I think it goes back to that sort of American ethic of independence and not wanting to take a handout. Um, you know, we met many people who would would said, well, I didn't even want food stamps. I don't want any assistance. But then they have to go to their church and get assistance. And the truth is that when you really break it down, government assistance is taxpayer money. It's neighbors helping neighbors. It's a, it's a very fair way of distributing things. I, I don't think it's adequately funded. I don't think it's, it reflects current realities. It needs to be modernized, but it's actually a way to make sure that people are getting something in a, in a fair way. Right now, unfortunately, we've managed to create a whole secondary food system for the poor that relies on charity. And charity feels really good for the people who are giving it, but it's quixotic. It can't be depended on. When people aren't doing well, they can't necessarily give as much. So supply can't possibly meet the demand. And uh, Joel Berg from the New York Coalition Against Hunger has estimated that if we were to, to increase the charity response, the charitable response, by tenfold, we still couldn't meet the need in this country. So. You know, we really need to look at that and say, if it were f fixing, you know, if, if, if this were to f be fixing the problem, we'd be fixing it because there's never been more charity than at this moment. And the hardest thing we set out to do, and frankly, the thing that's most exciting for me, because it seems to be working, is to change the paradigm. And it's shocking for people to hear that there's another way to fix this beyond writing another check or donating more cans of food. There's actually another way, and it's to to look at the policies that have created this. This is a political condition, because we have enough food. We have enough food. It's about the politics that can help make sure that food's available to people. So with that in mind, did you want to make a point, Tom? Because we watched yeah, another clip. Uh, you know, char charity is great and food packets are great, but they were really set up as an emergency response, um, not set up to be the primary uh, place where people go and, and, and get fed. And, and so um, there's... If, if, you're, if you're on the, the right side of, of, of sort of government um, and you're concerned about how do you fund these programs, it's estimated that hunger costs the healthcare system about $113 billion a year. So it, it kind of makes sense that if you spend some money feeding people so they're not hungry, they won't end up in the hospital in the emergency rooms and things like that. It, it, one visit, one 48-hour visit to the hospital from a child, for instance, is the equivalent of one year of feeding them through uh, food stamps. So, and, and we know that that people end up getting sick because if you're not health, if you're not getting enough food, your immune uh, system is depressed, and you end up in the hospital for various reasons. And so, you would think that if 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 one of our biggest challenges right now are entitlements, and it's in, in Medicare and Medicaid, you would want to actually shrink that feed people. 
especially programs like like WIC, Women, Infant, and Children. When you have women who are, and children who are are getting nourishment from these various programs, and the idea of cutting them because we don't have money to spend is is pound wise and penny foolish. And so there's a, a a way to sort of make this work for everybody. And so we've talked about a lot of frustrating aspects of all of this, and it can it can be like feel like you're beating your head against the wall sometimes. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I think in the next clip we're gonna watch, we kind of address this issue of activism around some of these issues. Um, do you wanna set up the clip in any way or should we just take a look, Lori? Okay, let's take a look at the, another clip from a place at the table. In a perfect world, you would want it to be as well balanced as you could make it, but the reality is you get what you can and, and giving something is certainly more than nothing. And so you just kind of find a little bit of <laughs> I guess, reassurance and, and knowing that you are making a difference even though it's not perfect. Okay. Give these three. Are you going to take them off? Yeah, I got them. All right. Thank you. Good job on your basketball game. That's something that's extremely important. The churches and the community groups that do hand out food are doing an incredible service to this country and to the children that are experiencing hunger. But that's just a quick fix. That's for today and tomorrow, maybe for next week. We call it emergency food. It's no longer emergency food. This is called chronic use of a broken system for which people cannot be held accountable. If people are gonna be relying on this food as a significant portion of their food intake over time, then we do need to pay attention to what kind of food are they getting. Charity is a great thing, but it's not the way to end hunger. We don't fund our Department of Defense through charity, you know. We shouldn't, uh, you know, see that our kids are healthy through charity either. This should be, um, you know, something that uh, in our country, in America, the richest country in the world, you know, we should, you know, take care of our kids. And we're going to take some questions. What's eye-opening for me about uh, the issue of uh, charities, and, and my parents run have run for 15 years a local... Uh, food bank in their neighbor in their neighborhood, but I think what that only what, what that's done is just it just sure it does it does a little bit of work in the short term for the short term, but it also opens up um, and kind of reveals all the other issues and problems that are much deeper and causing you know so many other problems and it's it's really frustrating as well. It is. It is. First of all, for those of you wondering what the hell Jeff Bridges is doing in there, um, he actually amazingly is a major food activist and hunger activist. He started a foundation over 30 years ago and has been working really hard to try to look at the root causes. So you see a lot of celebrities who work for hunger. This is the one who really knows his stuff and uh, he reached out to us while we were making the film and said, I heard this film is happening and I'd like to be a part of it. So that was really exciting. Um, so, as, the, as you saw, the clip opens with a woman named Leslie Nichols. She is a teacher in Colburn, uh, Colorado, and she goes and hands out bags of charity food, often going to people's homes or going to their cars during work when, when they're not around to help them sort of save face. Um, and, you know, she, she acknowledges that the food that we're giving people, the charity food, it's snack items, it's whatever the food industry is throwing away. Uh, and that's, that's something that is, you know, personally quite frustrating for me to hear about because when you have big, huge corporations that are giving away food, you know, they get a lot of bang for the buck for that. They get a lot of, of um, the, what, what Janet Popendick, a, an activist in the area, calls the halo effect. They look like heroes, um, but actually they save a fortune in dumping fees 
and they get a tax write-off for it. Plus, those are foods whose ingredients are so heavily subsidized on the production side that they are not motivated through the demands of a marketplace to produce the correct amount. They can actually overproduce and overproduce it very cheaply and then get an additional benefit on the other end for giving it away. Um, and in case you think I'm cynical, they've shown in studies that when uh, corporations, for whatever reason, do not get the tax benefit and it's cheaper to destroy the food, they destroy it rather than donate it. So um, the charity loop is actually one that is very... Um, self-serving for corporate America. And that part of my frustration around charity is, I, I think charity is great. And I think people like your parents and I think people who are really doing their part are, are, are thank God for them. It's not a long-term because Because people would really be starving. And one of the reasons we don't have starvation is because individuals and communities have gotten together, as you see, like Leslie Nichols, to really do something. What drives me up a wall is that the wool's sort of being pulled over everyone's eyes as to what the real motives are uh, and, and, and the food that people are getting. Um, you know, I don't know how long a kid can survive on ramen noodles before they, their health is compromised, their development is compromised, and as Tom mentioned, all sorts of health care costs um, arise from malnutrition-based obesity and diabetes that comes with that, and frankly, all of the, the routine infections and problems that kids get who are routinely undernourished, even if they're eating, but that's all they're eating. And, and I mean, you try it. Try eating out of a can for a couple weeks and see how you do. Yeah, one, one, one second, because Lori, Lori said something there that most people don't equate with hunger, and that's obesity. Um, they're, they're neighbors. They, they live, they, it, malnutrition is part of obesity. And again, when you can't purchase healthy foods and you rely on, on highly fat, highly sugar, highly salted foods, you end up um, with, with obesity becomes a problem. And so they are, they are very similar conditions. Which goes back to the issue you were talking about earlier with healthcare and leads to so many other uh, health issues that we end up paying for um, on the backside later. Um, let's, we have a, a few minutes for questions. I want to make sure we can get to a few of them from the audience. We're talking about a place at the table and uh, hoping to have just a couple of questions from the audience. So if you have one, go ahead and raise your hand. Don't be shy. So I'm a farmer and I'm, I know that some states, thank you, I know that some states double the value of food stamps at farmer's markets. I'm not sure how the legislation works, if it's up to the farmer's market or, or if it's just how it works in the state, but like Vermont does it, other places do it. Um, and I know some farmer's markets donate surplus food to food banks, schools, charities. Is that something that you discuss or address in the film? Did you, and did you talk to farmers? What's kind of that involvement? Um, so we, we actually have, in the making of the film, we talked to many people who are involved in various community plans and certain very progressive states do actually uh, do fund the doubling programs where your SNAP dollars can, can per help you purchase fruits and vegetables inexpensively. But the vast majority of those programs, um, and they do exist, our friend Michelle Nishan, who we're, we're gonna see later on tonight, has, a, has an amazing organization called Wholesome Wave, and they've done a huge amount of work to get SNAP dollars doubled at farmer's markets and to bring farmer's markets foods to 
um, isolated communities or communities that don't have access. The problem is the vast majority of these programs are still privately financed. And every year, Michelle and people like him have to go with their hands out and hope for grants and hope for charities and hope for fundraisers and hope that chefs show up to publicize their causes because, again, it's just another iteration of that charity model. Um, and I think that if more states, in fact, if the federal government were to help create um, and create a regular program where SNAP dollars could be doubled if spent at a, food, at a farmer's market, they would help create markets for food and vegetables, which is intelligent policy, which is exactly what we kind of want our government to do. And it's not really about more government, it's about smarter government. Um, and I think that's a great example of a policy that would really be useful. And then the people who are running these programs, who have a lot of knowledge, could be putting their energy into running these programs effectively and well, and the reach of these programs and not spending so much of their time groveling for cash from wealthy individuals and hoping that they'll get it. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that answers your question. New York, New York City had a pilot program. They did just that, but it was only in a handful of farmers markets, and I think they were just trying to study it. Um, but it's, it, is a, it is a great part of the solution. Other questions for Lori and Tom? Uh, this question is mostly for Tom, and I'm wondering if the movie touches on any ways uh, you as a restaurant owner think maybe the restaurant industry can help, or if, um, as you've said before, is yeah. it completely government? Yeah, there's a, well, we're actually doing a screening for the restaurant industry tonight. Um, as we leave here, that's where we're going. But there is a scene in the film where um, Michelle Obama um, uh, brought probably close to a thousand chefs to the White House lawn to talk about uh, so the, the, some of the issues with obesity and things like that as part of her uh, Let's Move uh, program. Um, the, um, the restaurant industry, again, has, has been great around hunger as far as raising money. And then beyond that, Michelle Nishan, who we just mentioned for Wholesome Waves, the chef who started that, um, Bill Telepan, who is a chef uptown, has done uh, great work with his... Um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the organization. Um, Wellness in the Schools. Um, and, so, and so many chefs. Mary Batali raises a lot of money for New York Food Bank. Um, there are, uh, the, the, um, City Harvest has a whole group of chefs involved uh, as advi in advisory roles. And so, yeah, the restaurant industry has always been, been, been uh, very, very uh, focused on this. And I think that, you know, we cook for people who can afford it in the restaurants, but I think on some level we all really believe that, that cooking is a, is a basic right, our food is a basic right. As we, as we start to wrap up here, I have a last question, and I'll let Lori uh, pick up on this as well. Um, and uh, Tom mentions the First Lady being in the film and, and, and one of the programs that's, that's explored in the movie, uh, near the end of the movie, um, with a new administration just beginning and this film coming out at the start of the second term, the second Obama president's, uh, President Obama's term, um, what do you feel um, that the current administration can do? And more specifically, what, what will it take from those who are in the audience, those who are listening, those who see the film, um, what will it take for those folks to do to help the administration accomplish what it actually wants to do? Well, I would say, I think it's a great question. You know, we're only showing you a couple clips here, and it must seem like a lot of gloom and doom and, you know, pretty depressing. But the truth is that it's actually a really optimistic moment because this one is solvable. It's not like we have to first cure this disease. It's not like we have to figure out a cure for cancer and then get started. We actually know what's causing hunger in this country, and we actually have the knowledge and the 
resources and the food to fix it. So this one is fixable, and we show that it's worked in the past, we can do it again. But it isn't just a question of saying, okay, well, let's sit back and hope that people get it right this time. It won't work without people deciding it's a priority and letting their elected officials know. And I think one of the best things about this film, first of all, the film opens on March 1st. It's going to be downtown at the Landmark Sunshine, and also we just learned uptown at Lincoln Center. Woohoo! So that's very exciting. But the best thing a person could do, go and see the film. Tell your friends to see the film. It's also opening on iTunes and On Demand the same day. So even if you're not near a theater, you can see it. You can like us on Facebook. You can go to the webpage. And the beautiful thing about it is that by partnering with you know, our, our distribution partners, Magnolia and Participant Media, Participant has uh, a track record like no other film company in getting issues in front of the American public and then changing the issue permanently. Um, they made Food Inc. and they really revolutionized a lot with Food Inc. They are poised to do this again and the day this film launches, they are launching the first ever National Action Center on Hunger, which is going to bring all of the national groups, all of the state and regional groups and local groups together under one sort of, in one place so that you could log onto the website and with one click or one text, you can lend your voice to end hunger permanently. And it's a great, I, I think the, the first thing I would say to you is please tell everybody, this one we can do. You can take responsibility for fixing this. And I don't think we can be mad at our government for not getting things right if we haven't told them we need them to do this. There's a, a, a representative in the film, Representative Jim McGovern, who did the food stamp challenge, told us that if six people call him from his district, he will change how he votes on an issue. And that's stunning to think about six people and we said how can that be and he said well for everyone who does who calls me I assume a couple thousand people who feel the same way who didn't bother to call so imagine what would happen if a lot of people go out to see this film and they click on the on the link and they text food to 77177 you'll get regular updates about what's happening and you'll be able to communicate decisively to your representatives enough let's fix it and I, I really think they will um, actually, the, the site's up and running now. Um, you can go to... Uh, yeah, I know, but the, the site's up. You can actually get a, an idea of what it will uh, look like. You can go to uh, takepart.com uh, slash table. Um, on a practical level, um, a, a living wage is, is probably a, a good place to start. I was really happy to see uh, the president in his uh, State of the Union talk about raising the minimum wage. Um, and, and again, you know, there are a lot of economists that say well, people will lose their job because of it. It hasn't proven itself out at all. There's a lot of new studies saying that, that you raise minimum wage and people keep their jobs. Um, inflation's not going to go up. Uh, it'll go up negligibly if it goes up at all. Um, so that's a good start. SNAP, uh, we're in danger of, of, of cuts to food stamp now. It's coming very soon. You know, get in front of this and let people know that this is unacceptable. Um, we need to not only just save it to its current level, I think it needs to be increased, and I think we make a pretty good argument for that in the film. Um, and also in, in 2015, the, uh, the school lunch program, uh, the reauthorization of that comes up again. Uh, we cover that as well in the film, uh, school lunches, and uh, that needs to be funded. Um, so these are the policies that yeah. you'll be able to click on and let your representatives know that you're watching how they vote on exactly the kinds of things Tom's talking about, because these are examples of how government policies could eradicate hunger 
Uh, and if you go to the website, we're going to give you all the tools so that you can vote and, and, let, and let people hear your voice on it. Uh, the film is called A Place at the Table. It opens March 1st. If you haven't sent that text message, it's uh, text the word food, really easy. Everybody has a phone in their hands right now, right? An iPhone. Um, 77177. All you have to do is send the word food to 77177. Has anybody in the audience done it yet? Um, it's really easy and painless. Um, you're going to get more information. The movie opens on March 1st downtown and uptown at Lincoln Center. You can go to the website, but see the movie. It's a great way into the issue, and it's a great way to, to um, learn about some of these stories and also learn a lot of information. Um, and it's, a, it, it's, important, it's an important dialogue, obviously, that, that more than just people in this room need to be having. Um, so I personally want to wish uh, Tom and Lori well as they're, they're traveling the country, sh do, showing the film multiple events per night um, to talk about this issue and to talk about the movie. Uh, thank you for being here today. Thank Tom you. Cotillo, thank you for coming. Lori Silverbush. And I think, I think Thanks for being here. It's available on iTunes. I think we said that. We'll, we'll March 1st in theaters, on iTunes, and on demand.